The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, good morning again. Take your Bibles. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll start there, so we'll go there. You know, when I, I was looking the other day, I began this, uh, this series of studies on the Christian life. We began it in May of 2015. But um, we, we've answered three important questions surrounding the rapture of the church so far. Uh, the first question we answered is, what is the rapture? And why is it important? The second question we answered in our study of the rapture of the church is, who will be a part of the rapture of the church? And we looked at the characteristics of, of Christian people and, 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 and the people that will be uh, a part of the rapture of the church. And then we looked lastly at what will be the results of the rapture of the church. We looked at the results on two groups, uh, on, on the believers and on the non-believers. Now today I'd like to answer another question, and that is how can we prepare for the rapture of the church? Now, the rapture of the church is the single most important event after our salvation. Because this is the time when we will be gathered home to be with the Lord. Now, we have friends, we all have friends and family that have passed on. And they are already present with the Lord. Well, we know this because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And they are there already, but... They are there awaiting the rapture of the church, at which time they will, be, they will receive their glorified bodies. So, in essence, they're there now in their spiritual self. Their soul is there, and they have a realization of everything around them. Uh, but they're there in spirit. But they, they will be there in, in, in body at the rapture of the church. So, just as we... Just as we here on earth wait for the rapture of the church, so also they in heaven wait for the rapture of the church. You might say, well, they have an advantage because they're in heaven so they know when it's going to be. No, they don't. They don't know when it's going to be. So they, they spend every moment they spend in heaven, they spend in, in anticipation just like we do here on earth because they don't know when it's going to be. Even Jesus himself, at the time he was on earth, did not know when the rapture would take place. He, he stated such to his, to his disciples. So, we need to be in a constant state of preparedness. As we live each moment of our life, anticipating the, the, the coming of the, of the Lord to, to gather us together in the rapture of the church. So look at Second Peter chapter 3 with me. Let's begin at verse 10. We, we read here, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire 
shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Let's pray before we go any farther. Father, thank you for your word. Without your word, Lord, we would be as a ship without a rudder, as a ship without a sail, just drifting in the ocean. But you have given us your word, and we thank you for it. And Lord, we take every opportunity to study your word and and to allow your Holy Spirit to instruct and teach us. So we pray for this today, that you would instruct us, that you would strengthen us, that you would edify us in this time we have together. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we, uh, as at this time of year, people think about uh, the birth of the Savior, uh, let it always be an important event to us. And let us meditate upon him every day of our lives. Thank you for this time now. We ask you blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter asked, what manner of persons ought ye to be? In other words, Peter is saying, given the knowledge that we have that the Lord will return, he said, given the knowledge that we have that seeing all these things shall be dissolved. You see, we get all wrapped up in life and we we focus on material things. We focus on temporal things. And we focus on them, I think, too much. Now, we, we need these things. Amen? We need a house to live in. We, we need a car to drive. I don't think we need a boat, although having a boat is awfully fun. But we need some things, and we need material things, and we understand that. But I think as a nation, we've just become too enraptured and too engrossed in those things. And we, gotta, we have to stop and realize, hey, These things are temporal. They are going to be dissolved, as Peter said, seeing seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So that's the question. Given the knowledge and truth of 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 the things to come, of the rapture, how should we conduct ourselves as we tarry for the Lord? I'm sure if we polled you people that we'd get many different answers, but there are, there are some basic answers I want to discuss this morning. So how should we conduct ourselves as we tarry for the Lord? Number one is pray for its coming. We should pray for its coming. Revelation chapter 22, verses 20 and 21, we read, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We are admonished to pray for the rapture. Now this is a, this is a thing that, that tends to get left out of a lot of our prayers. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you could, I couldn't raise my hand and say, every time I kneel to pray, I pray for, for Jesus to come. I, I'd be a liar if I told you I do. Now, there are times when we become weary, huh? when troubles are, are piling up around us and we're, we're burdened down. And those times, we tend to think more about the rapture, don't we? In those times, 
we tend to think we tend, tend to think about Jesus coming again. But at other times, we, we simply seem to forget it. When, when things are, are, are running smooth and things are nice, you know, we tend to forget about that important event. But we are admonished to pray for the rapture. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So we're to, we're to be consciously aware that at any instant, at any moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Lord can come. And we will be called home and we will be raptured to be with him forever. Prayer is the privilege of every believer. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, we read, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Prayer is a great privilege. You and I are granted access to the Father through Jesus the Son. It's like having a, a free pass. Uh, now, I haven't, I haven't been to Disneyland in a oh while. Wow, I think 1995 might have been the last time my family and I went. We're planning a trip next summer, Lord willing. But I remember the last time we went, they were starting with those fast pass things. And if you had a fast pass, you could pass everybody in line and go right to the front and get in. And that would irk me. I'd be standing next to a sign that said, your wait from this point is one hour. And I could see the gate. One hour. And people would walk right past and go right to the front and get right in. And I, I said, well, that's just not fair. It's just not right. And then we found out we could get those too, but you could only get one at a time. And until you use that one, the machine wouldn't give you another one. But prayer is a great privilege. We have a privilege. You have a privilege. I have a privilege. We are granted immediate access to the Father through Jesus the Son. It's a great privilege. Now, but there is something, there's an important principle to remember here. Privileges like freedoms must be regularly exercised. There's a lot of our liberties in America that are hindered today. We all know this to be true. A lot of the freedoms we enjoyed for so many years are being challenged and in some cases have been taken away. And the big, can anyone tell me the biggest reason? Anybody? Want to venture a guess? We don't use them. That's right. We've taken them for granted. And we stopped, we stopped exercising our liberties. And you know, I don't, whether, whether I agree in principle with every single liberty is not really the relevant point. 
The relevant point is we as a nation need to exercise our liberties. If not, we will lose them. And we have a generation today who didn't pay for anything. None of the liberties that they enjoy did they personally pay for, and in some cases, they don't even know anyone who did personally pay for them. But you see, I had my grandfather fought in World War I. Uh, my father and all of my uncles fought in World War II. My brother, my, my brother and my brother-in-law fought in Vietnam. So I, I have family who, who served the military and helped to secure and pay for those freedoms and liberties. So they mean a lot to me. But we have, an, we have an entitled generation today. You understand that? We have a generation that says, well, I deserve what I deserve. I deserve anything you have, and uh, you need to give it to me. So we have a generation who has never had to pay for anything when we talk about things like this. And, and so they've taken it for granted. They're, they don't care if they lose it because it didn't cost them anything. But we as God's people need to understand. Now we can't, this isn't a perfect example because you can't lose your privilege to pray. However, your privilege to pray can be hindered by sin. You know, if we forget exactly who we are and we, we indulge in, in constant sin, then our prayers unto the Father are blocked. They are, they are hindered by our sin. Until we, until we, we confess and are, are cleansed, uh, our prayers don't get through. So it's important that we understand that. But not only is prayer a privilege, but it's also effective. Prayer is effective. In James chapter 5, in verse 16, James says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. Now what he's really saying there is keep your, keep your, your, your communication between each other open. He's not saying, he's not necessarily go to, go to everyone and confess all your sins. But what he's, what he's trying to say there is, 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 is keep the tenderness between you and, and your, your brothers and sisters in Christ open so that your relationships remain intact. Uh, and he goes on to say, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain for 42 months. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave forth rain. So, we see that prayer is effectual. But I fear that today, far too many simply don't know how to pray. I think it's a big problem in America. Is a, lot of, a lot of God's people simply don't know how to pray. Now, I don't mean they don't know how to get on their knees and, and speak to God. I mean, but they, a lot of us do not know how to, 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 to come to the Lord, how to pray. For, for the effectual purpose of prayer. Now there are two elements to prayer that James describes. The first one, letter A on your sheet, is this. It is effectual. In other words, it is with purpose. There's a reason for prayer. Prayer is the cause uh, which creates the effect. James, excuse me, James chapter 4 verse 2, he says, Ye lust and ye have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. 
So we see that prayer is, has a purpose. Uh, prayer produces results. It's effectual. It addresses a specific need or desire. Uh, too often people just pray a generic prayer. Just They sense a duty to pray. So they, they just simply pray and utter words with no purpose or meaning. Uh, when I was a young man and a young boy and I wanted something from my father, I would actually get in my room and rehearse what I was going to say first. You ever do that? Huh? You ever get in your, you ever go someplace by yourself and you, 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 you say, now dad, I, I need this and this is why I need it, dad. And, and really it's important and blah, blah, blah. And you go through, and then when you get in front of your dad, you panic and you say, dad, can I have this? And he says, no. Okay. <laughs> but prayer is for a purpose. We come to the Lord with needs. And not only our needs, but each other's needs too. When, when I become aware that someone in the church has a need, I, I begin to pray for that. And God likes that, by the way. He, he, he likes it when, when you care about another Christian enough to, 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 to pray for that person. The Lord likes that. God desires to answer prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 11, Jesus said, If ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? God desires to answer your prayer. He even challenged us in the book of Malachi. He said, prove me now herewith. God wants to answer our prayer. Remember, James said that we have not because we ask not. I fear that far too many of God's people today don't pray for the rapture because they don't really long for him to come. I said earlier, we get so wrapped up in, in this world. We enjoy this world so much. Uh, sometimes we lose sight of the great things that await us. James said in chapter 4 and verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not, that the friendship of this world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, would be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And you know, I have no doubt in my mind that not one person in this room would stand in defiance against God. I know that you wouldn't do that. Yet, the Word of God teaches us that if we, if we become too enraptured with this world, then we, we ourselves find ourselves on the side of God's enemies. And whether we like it or not, that puts us at enmity with God. Puts us at odds with the Father. And often what happens is we begin to have to make choices in our life, whether we're going to let go of these things that have enraptured us, or whether we're going to let go of God. And I've, I've known people that I've that I, I trust are, are Christian people. I've seen them make that choice. I've seen them choose the world rather than, than God. And it's always a sad thing. It's a terrible thing. So, we pray. And we pray because prayer is effectual. But then, not only did James say prayer is effectual, but secondly, 
It must be fervent. We must have fervent prayer. Now, fervent prayer is characterized, uh, fervency is characterized by intense emotion. This is impassioned prayer. It's a prayer that consumes us. It's a prayer that drives us to our knees and drives us to the feet of Christ. Now, everyone here, at one time or another, have experienced fervent prayer. I I know we have. We have all been at that place where we could not, where we would not move until we got an answer from God. And sometimes it's, and, and by the way, if you've ever experienced that, you probably will experience it again. Do you, do, you, do you know life is full of disappointments? Huh? Raising children? That's hard, isn't it? Raising children's hard. And often in, in the process of raising children, your heart becomes so burdened by things and you become so impassioned that you begin to pray in a fervent manner. You know the greatest example of fervent prayer in the Bible? Can anyone think of, of, a, of a, an example of fervent prayer? Yes, Hannah. Anyone else? Jesus in the garden. That was the one I was thinking of. He prayed so fervently. Great drops of sweat mingled with what? Blood began to come from his face. And that's a medical condition. Caused by extreme stress. That was fervent prayer. And you know, I've heard people pray that Jesus was afraid to go to the cross. And I'm sure in his human sense he was, but I don't believe that Jesus was afraid of the cross. I believe Jesus was afraid of dying prematurely in the garden that night. And his prayer was that the Father would deliver him from from that. And that he could go to the cross. Make the sacrifice required. That's, that's just my opinion. You believe, you believe Jesus was afraid to go to the cross? I, I have no problem with that. But I think we can both agree that was fervent prayer. That was prayer for a purpose. And that's how we need to pray for the return of the Lord. Uh, let's look real quickly at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to read just a few verses. Luke chapter 11. And go to verse 5. We read here the words of our Savior. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity will he rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, 
and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And here we see an example of the fervency of prayer. I don't have time to describe the whole story and and go through the, the entire the entire teaching in these few verses. But what the Lord is saying here is you must be persistent in prayer. And and uh, your prayer needs to be effectual and your prayer needs to be fervent for a purpose. So James, uh, Peter said, what manner of persons ought we to be? How can we live our lives in anticipation of the rapture? Well, first, pray for its coming. Then number two, plan for its arrival. Plan for the arrival of the Lord. I don't have time to to turn to it and read it, but later read Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 10. And we see here that we are to plan for the arrival of the rapture. We're to, we're to plan and, and, and be prepared for the, for the coming of the Lord. Now, I, I sort of compare this to waiting for a child to arrive. Waiting for a child to be born. Now, most of the time when children are born, there's a general idea of when it's going to be, right? The doctor tells you, okay, well, you're going you're gonna to have the, your due date is this. Well, there have been occasions when, surprise, surprise, a week earlier than that due date, baby comes. And nobody's, nobody's ready, right? And then, horror of horror, there's the times when it comes and the, date of, the due date comes and goes. And you're still not with child. Right? So the coming of a child, the birth of a child is very unexpected. Now, if you're like my wife, uh, we had three children, two of them, by, all three by cesarean. So the second was, was taken on schedule. She just, they scheduled it. She went in, she gave birth, and it was done. And Dalton surprised us. He popped out a little early. And uh, so, and, and Erica was a nightmare. It was, whew, I don't want to describe it. But anyway. I nearly killed a doctor that night. I'll just say that. But anyway, the, the, the coming of the Lord is kind of like waiting for a child to be born. But you don't just sit there and do nothing while you're waiting for a child to be born, right? There's a lot of planning involved. You designate one room in the house as the nursery and you start decorating and you start doing these things and you start collecting and gathering clothing and, and uh, uh, bottles and all those kind of things you begin to, to accumulate. You, you plan for the baby's arrival. You do all the things you have to do. So we're to live, you and I are to live as if the rapture is going to take place in the next moment. Because it just might. The rapture might take place before I finish this lesson. It could, it could happen at any moment. So we're to live our life in anticipation. Well, states to us that we're not to be caught by surprise when it comes. Now, we are going to be, of course, we're going to be surprised at the, at the instant of, of the moment, but we're expecting it, right? I mean, maybe that, maybe that child being born surprises you because it happens at 2 a.m., uh, or maybe, maybe you, you're, you know, you're in the movie theater enjoying a good picture and your wife says, it's time to go. 
Okay, so we may be we may be caught unaware at the moment, but it's not like you don't say you're not sitting in the movie and she says, "It's time to go." Why? Well, I'm having a baby. What? <laughs> you're having a baby? I didn't know about this. No, it's not that, right? I mean, you're there. What? Oh, okay, well, let's go because you've got plans in in place and you're prepared and you're awaiting it and you know about it. So you're not caught by surprise. So there's some things to consider in planning uh, for the arrival of the Lord, planning for the rapture. Letter A is this, knowledge. Knowledge. You need to have knowledge of the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye saw not, even as others which have no hope. Paul said, don't be ignorant. Of the, of the things of the rapture. Don't be ignorant of, of its, sudden, uh, its suddenness that when it'll come. Don't be ignorant of those who will be a part of it. Don't be ignorant of the results of it and what's going to take place. Understand it. Plans are built upon understanding. And understanding requires knowledge of what you're doing. Now, this is accomplished in two ways. First, through study. Study. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Study about the rapture. Take time to actually look into it. Understand what's going to happen. Uh, Of course, we don't know when, but we're to be anticipating it at every moment. But but we're to have knowledge of the fact. Um, Secondly, share. Share the truth. 2 Timothy 2.2 And the things that thou hast heard of, of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Knowledge is, knowledge is no good unless it's shared. You understand that? You, can have, you could have amassed all the knowledge in the world, if you don't share it with anyone else, then it's lost. So, first of all, we study to understand the rapture, and then we share it. Fathers, share it at home with your wives and children. You mothers, share it with your children. Share it with your co-workers. Share it with people you meet in the market. Share it with everyone. Share the hope and the truth of the rapture of the church and the coming of the Lord. But not only does it take knowledge, and I'm going to close with this, secondly, it takes commitment. It takes commitment. Planning takes commitment. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Nothing can be done without commitment. Marriages will fail without commitment. Families will fall apart without commitment. And without commitment, our churches will fall apart as well. We must have and make commitments as God's children to the local church. Let me give you these four thoughts and I'm done. Make a commitment to be in attendance. I decided when I got saved 37 years ago, I decided that I would be in church on Sunday morning. Make a commitment to be in attendance. Secondly, make a commitment to support the church with your talents. Whatever skills you have, whatever, whatever abilities you have, use them for God. Commit yourself in the church to use your your skills and your talents, whatever they may be. Thirdly, 
Make a commitment to support the church with your material blessings, your material things. Don't be stingy. Don't be a miser. Take care of your family, but remember this, the Lord will return to you such as you give unto him. Make a commitment to our church to support the church to material things. And then lastly, make a commitment to pray for one another and to love one another. Make, just, just, just make that commitment. Every member of this, I have, a, I have a list of the membership of this church. I, I, don't, I don't have time to pray for every member every day, but I go down the list. And within, a, within a, a week's time, I will have prayed for every member of the church. Pray for one another. And then love one another. I've said it before. You don't have to like someone to love them. Maybe, maybe someone in the church isn't your best pal. Maybe they're not someone you rub elbows with. You might never invite them over for dinner. But you, should, you still should love them. You still should have compassion for them because they are a child of God. And we're to love one another. All right, folks. I don't have time to go on. It's, it's, it's time to stop. So I'll finish this off next time. Uh, thank you for being here, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.